you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles uh, to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. We will be uh, in, in Exodus 25 as well as 35 and 36 of Exodus. Um, and I, I won't read the whole thing for you. It would take most of my sermon to read uh, all, all of it for you. But I'll, in a moment, I'll summarize uh, God's word and then we'll read uh, portions along the way and, and, and draw truth from it. But let's pray again before we, we get into it. Father God, make your people, myself included, ready to hear your word. May your Holy Spirit comfort us uh, that this may be a message of encouragement, not of discouragement, God. Lord, we do want to live for you. We want to worship you. We want to enjoy you above all else. Help us today to know how that can happen, God, in practical ways. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Today, it is my goal to help you become a cheerful giver. I don't want you, when you, you hear, oh, we're, we're going to have a sermon about giving, for it to bring a rotten feeling in your stomach or an annoyed feeling. I, I get it. Uh, you know, many churches have exploited people uh, digging into their pockets for their own gain. And so uh, that, that may be one of the reasons that we, you know, struggle hearing sermons on giving and things like that. Um, but, but today what I, I want to do is, is to lay a foundation, a foundation uh, from God's word of, of what generosity means and how it can be possible to be a cheerful giver, right? We all, we all know uh, in, in the Bible, uh, Paul says to the Corinthians, God loves a cheerful giver. Not just someone who puts money in the offering plate, not just someone who, you know, uh, helps someone out in a hard time. God loves it when we cheerfully give. And so that is my goal because that's both pleasing to God when we cheerfully give and it's good for us that we can be happy when we give rather than uh, feeling bitterness or even guilt. And so I, I do want to talk about that for a moment, though, too, because, uh, you know, I, I have conversations. I, I have relationships with, um, you know, so many of you. And I, I know that, that there could be different reasons that, that we struggle to think about giving, struggle to hear sermons, certainly, about giving. And so I, I kind of want to mention what a couple of those may be. And you can see if you at all fit into one of these categories. Some of us may uh, be uncomfortable with the topic of giving because uh, we believe that God is just greedy. That God just wants to rob us, that he wants to take from us. He's that mean dictator in the sky who wants to, to, to amass his riches, to build his kingdom to the neglect of us. And so when we think about giving, this, it's just this other opportunity to say, man, God, God just, you know, got me under his thumb, making sure I'm, I'm paying my dues. And so that could be why some of us don't like the idea uh, or to think about giving and generosity and things like that. But uh, I, I don't believe that that's everyone. I don't believe that that's everyone. I think there are some uh, that are 
giving generously and you're already giving all that you have, uh, all that you're able out of your money. And by the way, when I say giving and generosity, I'm talking about all your resources, all my resources. That is, uh, you know, our money, our finances, uh, our possessions, but it's also our, our skills, our abilities, our time. These are things that God wants us to cheerfully give. And so bringing that back, some of us, when we think about this topic of giving, we feel guilty, not because we're not giving, but because we can't give or can't give as much as we would like. We're managing our resources well. You know, we're not spending on frivolous things, but we do need to take care of our families put food on the table, and so we, we give what we can, but it's, we, we know it's not that much, and so we feel guilty. We say, man, I'm, maybe I'm letting God down. Maybe God would be more glorified if I could just give more, and I can't. And so, uh, again, there, there's just the, this wide range of reasons that, that we could dislike uh, hearing and thinking about and reading about uh, in the Bible, this topic of giving, whether it be believing God to be greedy or our own feelings of guilt that we can't give more. But today, from God's word, I want to help build a foundation that, that will help all of us to be cheerful givers no matter our, our situation in life. No matter even where we might currently fall on whether we believe God's greedy or we feel guilty or, you know, I want us to have a foundation that, that frees us to be cheerful givers, no matter if we can give a large amount or a very little amount. So, I want us to become excited about giving. I want us to become the type of people who think about ways to save money or, 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 or you know, sacrificially uh, be able to give of our resources because we want to, because we are so cheerful about it. And so I see this, and, and we're going to get into it, you know, uh, much more deep. But uh, what I, I see this in Israel giving for God's tabernacle. Uh, we, we started in these verses last week where God gives the command to build him a tabernacle. And we, we, we discussed what a tabernacle is. It was a tent, but it was a dwelling place for God. That is what the tabernacle was to be in the midst of Israel but, but here's what we have. In Exodus 25, God commissions Moses to take up a sort of offering. And we'll, we'll see these verses later, but I want to summarize the whole, the whole uh, passage. God commissions Moses to take up a, a voluntary offering of the people of Israel. And the purpose of this offering is so Israel can build this tabernacle, this dwelling place for God. Then, ch- 10 chapters later, in Exodus 35... Moses passes this commission along to the people of Israel. He tells the Israelites that, that God desires their, their materials and their services to be used for the tabernacle. You know, to, to contribute these things and then to build this tabernacle. And so that's what we have going on. So what was Israel's response, you might wonder? Was their groaning about having to give of their resources, their possessions, their time to build this place? Was it guilt because some of them couldn't give as much as they'd like? Well, here's what one passage 
one portion, rather, I would like to, to read with you. And this is the outcome of, you know, Moses, or God, God says, you know, take up for me an offering, build me a tabernacle. Moses passes that message along. And here is how the, the response that we see. Exodus 36, verses 3 through 7. And they, that's the workers, the ones building uh, the tab- tabernacle, and they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. Verse 6, so Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution uh, for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing For the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. That was Israel's response. I mean, can you imagine that? I think about that in our current context. If if I were to say, guys, uh, you know, we have these offering plates up here, but we're going to take them away. We have too much money. (laughs) And, And, you know, as far as serving, you all keep asking me how you can serve one another, how you can engage our community. And... We, we have too many volunteers. Please stop volunteering. I mean, this is, this is outrageous, uh, the way the people of Israel respond. It, it is astonishing. But that is exactly what happened. The, 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 this commission was given, take up a contribution for me and build me a tabernacle. And rather... Then the people groaning and griping about God trying to dig into their pockets or, or take their time, rather than, than some feeling guilty and saying, oh, I wish I could give more, and it's a, a time of lamentation, it ends up being a time of, of just glad giving to God. They're, they're, I mean, they have to stop them, restrain them from bringing more, because they so desire to give for this building of the tabernacle. We say, how can that be possible? How can, how can they be willing? By the way, it was not small things that God is asking for. I, I didn't uh, read it just now. But, I mean, we're talking gold, silver, bronze, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen. I mean, those were incredibly valuable things that God is uh, asking for in order to build this tabernacle, this, this dwelling place of God. And yet they do so cheerfully gladly abundantly sacrificially and so what i want us to do today is to just kind of take a step back and look at it and say how did they get there how how in chapter 36 do they give so cheerfully so abundantly and sacrificially and i think we're gonna draw out some uh, amazing foundational uh conclusions that that will help us to be able to think rightly about giving and feel rightly about it. Not to feel bitter at God and not to feel guilty ourselves when we can't give more. And so here is the first principle I want to show you that I see operating uh, in Exodus that allows them to give cheerfully. Number one, they recognize that God is a giver. 
Israel recognized that God is a giver. You say, I thought God was taking up a contribution. I thought God was enlisting them to work. How do you see God as a giver? I, I by the way, I, um, <laughs> I could have changed it because I ended up passing out new outlines. I regret the wording of that. God is the giver. He's not just a giver among many. God is the ultimate giver of all things. And this is, this is what I want to show you. And so knowing that God is a giver of all things, it is impossible for God to be greedy. And because God possesses all things, we have no reason to feel guilty. This is what I want to show you um, from, from our passage. So we, we do have, again, this, this contribution. I, I can read it for you, what God is uh, asking them to bring. Uh, 25 verses 1 through 9, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that, that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. So God's saying, this is, I, I want this for me. Take for me. Sounds selfish at first brush. So he says there, uh, and this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil, and for fragrant incense, onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So God is asking them to contribute of their, their possessions. But in addition, he's telling them, and you're going to do the work for me. And so how do I come to this and say, boom, God's a giver. What a great God. And the, the reason I see this, it, it, I mean, this, is gonna, this thread is going to run through this entire sermon, but I, I want to, again, just build these foundational grooves, this, this highway in our mind that keeps us from, from going off into the bushes when we think about giving. So you think about the book of Exodus, right? The book of Exodus flows out of what? What, what book comes before Exodus? Genesis. How does the book of Genesis start? In the beginning, God. So you have a pre-existent, all-sufficient God already there, all eternity past. He needed nothing from nobody. And then when God wanted something, what did he do? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> okay, so he's not sounding real weak and needy to me at the moment that he's literally speaking the cosmos into existence. That word cosmos is too small. Our galaxy is one among trillions of galaxies that we know about that God spoke into existence. And we, we look out at this world, we travel this world, we see the, the, the billions of people in this world and we say, even just this little earth we're on seems so big and grand. God spoke galaxies into existence existence so that's kind of a, a foundation but uh in in israel's history that, that we've just seen in the book of exodus up to this point it was quite clear that god was a giver you think about it when israel was in their bondage in egypt poverty stricken people what what did god do 
Well, well, God came in and he worked for them completely apart from any work that Israel could do. When, when Pharaoh said, no, I, I'm not, I'm not going to let you guys go, what does God do? He sends plague upon plague, God's power on display. He doesn't say, hey guys, let's, let's formulate a revolt against Egypt. He just says, no, I'm going to set you free. He, he gives. You think about uh, when they come up to uh, the Red Sea in front of them, and Egypt is, is, is coming behind them. Does God say, oh no, what are we going to do? No, God provides a way through that sea, and then they, they pass through it, and then Egypt goes into the sea, and God crushes them. Then, I mean, it just keeps going. Then Israel gets hungry. What does God do? He literally provides bread from heaven. You know the, the word manna that they eat in the wilderness for that 40 years? The word manna literally means what is it? What is, they didn't even have a category for this, this stuff on the ground, this bread from heaven, because they've never seen it before. It is miraculous provision from God. God is giving it to them every morning for 40 years while they travel through the wilderness. They get thirsty. What does God do? Well, first they come up to a bitter water and God makes it sweet water. Then, then they travel a little further into the desert where there are no springs. And what does God do? God causes a spring to come from a rock. Water comes gushing out to give water to millions of people. This is amazing. This is God providing. And, and we could just keep going here. But this is what's going on. As God has just shown them over and over and over again. I am your giver. You are the recipients of my grace. You are the recipients of, of my power. You are the recipients of my provision. And then we think about this with the tabernacle. You say, okay, but now God's asking uh, for them to provide for the tabernacle. Is he? Is God actually asking for them to provide for the tabernacle? Or is God the one who provided for the tabernacle? Now, you could just speak in general terms that everything, every resource, gold, silver, bronze, scarlet, linen, you know, all these things, God created them. So that's one way of looking at it. But even the fact that Israel had those items in their possession, remember, 400 years of slavery, they don't have big bank accounts. They don't have big storerooms full of stuff. How do they come out of there with gold and silver and bronze and, and all these expensive purple dyes, you know, uh, materials. And where does that come from? Well, God provided it. We see this uh, back in Exodus chapter 3, 21 and 22. God said this, I will give this people, Israel, favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So this is before they've been released. God's telling Moses this. I will give Israel favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house, for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. Then we see Exodus 12, as, as they're leaving Egypt after all the plagues, Exodus 12, 35 and 36, the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people 
favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Egypt was at this point one of the most wealthy peoples in the whole world. Israel, by contrast, would have been one of the poorest, being an oppressed uh, slave nation. And God flips the script. I should have left it on there. On both of those, I left out, thus they plundered the Egyptians. On, on the first one, it was, thus you will plunder the Egyptians. I mean, they, they flipped it. Israel came out wealthy, out of Egypt, out of their slavery. God had provided for them, and God had provided for the tabernacle. God had done that. You even think about the, the, the knowledge, the skills, the ability to be able to serve, to build this tabernacle. That comes from God as well. Uh, we, we see just the, the request, Exodus 35.10. I don't have this up there, I don't think. Um, Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. So if, if you're a skillful craftsman here, I'm letting you know there's this need to build the tabernacle. We need your service. We need you to volunteer your labor. Well, where did they get that skill? Uh, Exodus 36, 1 and 2. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come and do the work. God gave them not only the possessions, but the power, the ability to build this tabernacle that he's asking them to contribute to and to build. God was a giver through it all. We, we need to remember that God needs nothing from us. The, the moment we make God dependent on us, it does make him look weak and needy, seem weak and needy. It does I would say, make him less glorious in our hearts, and it is going to make us bitter for having to, to give to him. For, you know, God saying, like, you know, I, I love a cheerful giver. I mean, if I walked up to you and said, so Adam, I, I love a cheerful giver, <laughs> you know, I, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm asking for you to cheerfully give to me. But here we see that God is the giver, so why does God say things like, I love a cheerful giver? If God is the giver of all things, why doesn't he just build the tabernacle himself? He, he, he spoke the world into existence. Why not the tabernacle? Why first put the possessions and the talents in the hands of Israel and then saying, okay, now you guys give to me what I have given you. I, I by the way, love how uh, Acts puts this. Uh, Acts 17, 24, and 5, uh, Paul puts this rather in Acts. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, and they're, they're having them build the tabernacle, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God is the supplier, so why? Why make Israel contribute of their resources? Why does God now even call us to give? Why, why are churches funded by the resources of their people? 
Why is the great commission, go therefore and make disciples, to be carried out by people, by Christians? Why doesn't God just do it himself if he can? If he's self-sufficient, all-sufficient, why doesn't he just do it himself? Here is what I want to show you that we are seeing take place in Exodus and what we are seeing take place anytime an opportunity to give uh, is presented to us. Number two, giving is a tangible opportunity to worship. Giving is a tangible opportunity to worship. So what we actually see is that God encouraging or even commanding his people to give is not because he needs our stuff, not because he's trying to rob us of our stuff or of our happiness. Rather, it is God giving the opportunity for something far greater. Namely, an opportunity to worship and enjoy the one and only soul-satisfying God of the universe. We often believe, and this is why we get bitter at least, that our stuff will make us happy. We often believe that our comfort, rather than serving God, serving his church, serving wherever, serving our families, I mean this applies anywhere, we often believe that our comfort is greater, a greater path to joy than our serving, our, our giving of our time and our energy. But we are wrong. When, when God calls us to worship, when God calls us to give and to do what he could do himself, the only logical conclusion is that the reason he's asking us to do it is as a tangible opportunity to worship and enjoy him. God is a giver, so even in asking us to give, it is grace. It's a free gift of grace to us. It is, it is a, a, him giving once again. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This, by the way, I, I told you this this week was uh, uh, an enjoyable one for me, but it was because it was so difficult, as I say. Why do uh, I, I give as little as I do? Why do I have so much stuff? Why do I have so little uh, margin in my budget to give more? And, and, and for me, in my case, the, the answer is, well, I, I'm not delighting myself in the Lord enough. And, and I'm asking for my possessions. I'm asking for my time. I'm asking for my energy to, to serve me in a way that only God can serve me. Because he is what my heart longs for. He is, is what will nourish my heart, to bring the peace, the joy, the hope that I need in serving and worshiping him. But even when we think of it this way, okay, I just need to, to serve, I just need to give, I just need to do all these things, we can still get sideways. Hallie and I had, honestly, an amazing conversation about this this week because we were talking about why does it so often happen, and, and we're the greatest example of it happening, so I'm not, you know, casting blame on anyone, but why does it so often happen that, that people get bitter either at God or one another, you know? And, and so we were, we were thinking, you know, so wh why, why when we're 
pouring into a friendship and the other friend doesn't reciprocate the way that we would like, we start to get bitter at them. Why? When, when we're serving the church and we don't get the, the gratitude or the, the recognition that we'd like, do we all start to get bitter at the church? And again, you apply this to your families. Why do I get bitter at having to serve my children, having to serve my wife, to sacrifice? You know, because I look at my children and I say, you know, my, my wife and I, we, we sacrifice so much for you. We give so much to you and, and you're largely ungrateful and, and at this present time, like it hasn't had, you know, that final effect that we'd like it to have. The reason that we get bitter is because we, we set the focus of our giving on the wrong thing. The goal of our giving, if it is not the right things, will turn into bitterness and so this is what I want to show you. We, we see this prescribed here in Exodus, how they could give generously, sacrificially, and not be bitter at the Lord, not be bitter at one another, not be bitter at Moses. So first, I've got, I've got these two principles that I want to give you. Their giving was to the Lord. It was to the Lord. The, the focus of their giving was to the Lord. They weren't giving to Moses. They weren't giving to the tabernacle. And, and, and what's, what's different there is if they were giving to Moses or to the tabernacle, those things will let them down. You know, I, I made a really big contribution to Moses' fund, and he, he didn't quite show me the gratitude or, or the recognition that I was hoping for. You think I'd at least get an aisle with my name on it, you know, <laughs> that, that's what some churches do. Uh, I don't know what ours has there. <laughs> I think it is. Anyways, uh, we'll pull those off. <laughs> Just play it. Uh, so look before you speak, guys. <laughs> Proverbs uh, has a lot to say about opening your mouth too much. Anyways, when, when our, our, our family member, you know, our, our spouse or our child doesn't reciprocate, doesn't respond to our love, to our service, to our giving of them in the way that we would like. If our giving was, you know, to get those things out of them, to get that response, to get that outcome, you will be disappointed and you will grow bitter. I have grown bitter serving my family. I have grown bitter at times even serving my church because I didn't get out of it what I hoped for. That's just junk. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. That is not the way it's supposed to be. That is not a cheerful giver that depends on the reciprocation or the outcome. Our focus of giving must be to the Lord. And I'm going to show you this in, in a bunch of verses here in a moment. But not only must it be to the Lord, it must be from a heart that desires to worship God. God, I want this giving to be an offering of worship, not to this other person, not to get something from them, but an offering of worship to you. I want this offering uh, of my money to be pleasing to you. I, I want my, my time of service in, in the Sunday school or setting up chairs or washing the dishes at home to be a pleasing offering of worship to you. 
because, and here, here's what I want, wanted to show you, and I really need to show you the verses, but if your goal is to, to give to God, and if your goal is for that giving to be an act of worship to God, it does not matter how the other person responds. It does not matter how, how that person or that organization, that church reciprocates or not. I mean, I'm not saying it might not hurt you, but it, it won't rob your joy in giving. It won't put a halt to your, your loving and your service. If, if your love for your spouse is ultimately an act of worship to God, to, to delight him and you find your delight in him, then whether or not that person responds well, whether or not the outcome is what you hope for, you still accomplished your goal. <laughs> you still have joy. God, I got to worship you with this giving of myself. I got to worship you by, by laying before you the things that you have put into my life to steward them for your glory. I mean, it, it's interesting. I, again, I was just talking with my wife. I'm like, man, if, if we grab a hold of these things, we'll all be bulletproof. We will serve our spouses. We will serve our children. We will serve one another in a church body. We will give of our resources and we will be bulletproof because our joy will be found in the giving being an act of worship to God rather than the outcome, rather than the reciprocation. We'll be unstoppable. We'll be able to love and serve and give to a supernatural degree. So I want to show you this. <laughs> it was to the Lord, and it was to be from a heart that desires to worship God. Uh, first we have Exodus 25, that's uh, not 1 through 9, um, 1 and 2. No, it's just verse 1. The Lord said, no, it's 1 and 2, sorry. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they may take for me, that's to God, the giving's to be to God, to take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. So it's this heart worship to God. Whoever heart says, I, I want to worship God, I want to enjoy God more than I want to enjoy these possessions, more than I want to amass these riches, anyone whose heart moves them to do that, let them give to me. We see again in Exodus 35, verse 5, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. So it's again to the Lord. It's from this heart desiring to worship. We see this again uh, in verses 21 and 22 of chapter 35. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments. So, so they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, dedicated an offering of gold to the Lord. I mean, I, I'm just giving you a snippet. That was uh, a handful of verses. This is heavily repeated over and over and over uh, in Exodus uh, 25, then 35, and 36, is that it's to be from the heart, a heart desiring to worship, and to the Lord. And when the people got this, I mean, it appears they got it. It appears that God did stir their hearts to desire worship for their, their giving to be to God, not to Moses, not to gain favor, not to the tabernacle to get their, their little plaque. Um, 
They were giving to God, desiring to worship and enjoy Him above all else. And they received so much that they have to put a stop to the giving. <laughs> there's no bitterness in, in, in Exodus. There's no, there's no bitterness of people saying, ah, I really liked all my gold. I really wanted all this. I can't believe God's asking for it. They give gladly. They give abundantly. They give sacrificially. And I, I want to say on the other hand, remember, we, we don't see any guilt either from those who don't have as much as, as the wealthier of the bunch. We don't say anyone saying, oh no, God is not going to be glorified because I can't give as much as the other person. God is entirely sufficient to provide all that he needs. And so wherever we are, we want to be cheerful givers. How can we be cheerful givers? First, by recognizing that God is the giver of all things. Therefore, he is not weak and needy. And therefore, even if you can't give as much as you'd like, he's okay. His plan does not rise or fall based on your ability to contribute. And then how do we keep from, you know, getting bitter when we're giving, getting bitter when we're serving and you know, annoyed when things don't turn out the way that we'd like. Annoyed when we don't receive the reciprocation that, that is nice. It's nice for people to be grateful. It's nice for people to reciprocate uh, kindness and giving. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to give and give generously, sacrificially. We do that by recognizing this is a tangible opportunity, a real concrete opportunity to worship God. And the way I do that is by saying this act of service this financial contribution, it's to the Lord. And it's not to pay him back. It's not to earn his favor, but it's, it's to be worshiping and, and enjoying him that I might receive even more delight in God. God remains the giver through it all. God remains the giver. We remain the, the receivers, the ones who benefit from it all. Both the receiving of our possessions and the giving of our possessions both the, the honing our skills to work and to serve and the pouring of them out, all of it is a gift from God, an opportunity to worship, to enjoy Him and find our satisfaction in Him. Now, I want to make sure that we are all on the same page before we, we pray and, and, and leave today. I am not telling you, do these things, like Make yourself have a heart of worship and, you know, because ultimately that's not something that we can do. We certainly can't do it in our own. I, I'm not saying, hey, you just need to be more worshipful and generous. That, that's not all I'm, try, I'm trying to say here because we first, again, have to recognize God as the giver. And, and what or who is the greatest gift that God has given See, we, we can't even have this desire to worship God with our giving if we don't have a new heart. But that's exactly what was accomplished in Jesus. God gives salvation and a new heart in Jesus. This is, this is not something that we accomplish on our own. We again see God as the, the giver. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life, by the way, 
is not just a, a duration, it's a quality. It, it is this receiving a new heart, a new mind, being a new creation. That is what it means here. They will not perish, but they'll have eternal life. He goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Think about this. Is God a taker in this situation? In a sense, he is. In, in salvation, God is a taker. You know what God takes from you for salvation? Your sin, your condemnation, the wrath that we deserve, that's what God takes. That's what Jesus took upon himself on the cross. He gave his son so that he could take the punishment and give us eternal life. The ability to worship and enjoy God both now and for all eternity. God is a giver. God is a giver. And the giving doesn't stop at salvation from God. God wants to continue giving and serving you. God wants to continue. Like there just never becomes a time that you put God in your debt. He is always working. He is always the one giving. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says this, work out your salvation, your own salvation with fear and trembling. You say, well, that, that's me. I'm, I'm the one who's supposed to become a better worshiper. I'm, I'm the one who's supposed to become a cheerful giver. I'm the one who's supposed to be a servant of, of God. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God calls us to worship him. He calls us to work out our salvation, to grow in these areas, to grow in tangible acts of worship. But then he causes us to will. That means to desire it and to work. That is the power to do it. God gives us the desire and the power to worship him that we can enjoy worshiping him. I, 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 I want to be careful calling God the giver. Like, I'm not trying to put God under us. The fact is that, that God being the giver means that in order to receive the blessings from him, we have to put ourselves under him. <laughs> we have to submit to him. We have to worship him. I say have to, but th those are all good things to submit to the God of the universe, to worship the God who is all-satisfying but this is what God is doing. He's an all-sufficient giver, needs nothing from us. He's not greedy. He's trying to give. What's he trying to give? An opportunity to worship in tangible ways as we set our eyes on him in a desire to worship and enjoy him. Let's pray. Father God, I, I do praise you for this refreshing truth about giving that that i got to study this week and that i got to share this week with my my church family god i thank you in your word for for not trying to make us feel guilty but rather showing us how gracious you are letting that be what motivates us to be cheerful givers and God, we do thank you that you care enough for us that you give us 
the opportunity to give of ourselves in worship of you. God, you, you gave us your son. Will you not also willingly with him give us all things? Romans 8 says. God, help us to look at your gift of Christ Jesus and recognize it's all giving. Anything that you take from us is not good. We see that greatest example of you taking our sin and giving us eternal life in exchange. And so God, let us see that that principle runs through the rest of our lives, that anything you want to take out of our pockets, anything you want to take uh, out of our time, out of our calendars, is something that shouldn't have been there in the first place. Not that it's inherently evil, but that it just would not have served us best, and that you want to replace it with something far superior, the worship of an all-glorious, all-satisfying God. Lord, we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Please stand and join me as we close.